Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something you can take notes with this morning. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Woo. You probably get tomorrow off. <laughs> you can hoot and holler for that. Open up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. We are continuing our series that we have been start. We started a few weeks ago. We're going to be in it for a little while. We're calling this Christian Living, where we are coming to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are asking him to teach us how to reorient us from self-centered lifestyles to kingdom-centered lifestyles. And then somebody, even on Labor Day. <laughs> we want to learn from him. Say, God, we, we can get so oriented around ourselves and the way that we live our lives. But Christian living, living as a Christian, is not living a self-centered life. It's living a kingdom-centered life. And so that's what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We are, because it's so long, we're covering so many different things, we're, we're breaking this whole series up into a few different sections. First section we've already completed, the first couple of parts was our preface, where we talked about the first few bits of Jesus' sermon here, where he introduces us to what is this Sermon on the Mount? What should we expect from him as we continue through his message? And then my dad started off section two last week. Uh, section two is called Loving God and Your Neighbor. So if you're taking notes, you can put that as your section two title, Loving God and Your Neighbor. And he started uh, that section in, in, our, in Matthew 5, 21 through 26. And honestly, I thought last week was a masterful message. If you missed it, you have got to go back and listen to the sermon from last week. Um, my dad's preached a lot of sermons, and I thought that was one of the best. So good. I needed it. So encouraged by, by the Word of God and how he led us last week. So I'm going to be continuing section two. Uh, so we got section two, part two this morning. And you're going to be really excited about the title for this week's message on Labor Day. Section two, uh, or part two of Loving God and Your Neighbor is titled Divorce, Adultery, and Marriage. So I'm about to read our text this morning, and then I'm going to pray, but don't leave. <laughs> Just because everybody's closing their eyes when we pray doesn't mean you need to sneak out. Just stick with it. God's got some great stuff for us this morning. Lock the doors, Jordan. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel it. I've had to have a mass exodus. All right, would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God this morning? We're going to start in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body going to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. We love you and we thank you that you would speak to us. So good to have your word before us this morning. 
It's so good to recognize you here with us as we gather in your name and we present ourselves to you and we are asking you, Holy Spirit, speak and shape us, reveal to us who you are, show us how to live our lives oriented around the kingdom and bring us into a growth in your grace this morning. We love you. We trust you. We are excited to be here in your presence with one another in church. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Go ahead and take a seat. <laughs> Jordan was actually standing by the doors while, you, while I was praying. <laughs> Good man. So um, Heather does this thing sometimes where I ask her yes or no questions and she answers me with stories. <laughs> so... We've been kind of trying to keep each other accountable to working out more at our house. And so the other day I was like, hey, did you ride your, your exercise bike thing? And instead of just saying yes or no, she told me an entire story about all that had happened that day, how she felt about everything that had happened that day, what was on her schedule for the rest of the week. Later that same day, we were having some people over for dinner and uh, she was cooking dinner. And as a good husband, I was going to jump in and help. And, uh, <laughs> and so I asked her this question. I said, I was just like, hey, are we making more noodles? We were, we were making some noodles. I said, hey, are we making more noodles? And instead of just saying yes or no, I heard about everything the kids had eaten that week since the last time we had made noodles. <laughs> everything else that was also being made for dinner that night. We got into a little bit of a conflict potentially about the grocery budget. It turned into a whole thing. And uh, about like a month and a half ago, uh, we were out of town. We were in Waco, Texas for a, a conference with a bunch of the other uh, staffs of Antioch churches from around the country. And it was a full week, and we, we went to her parents' house in Abilene a few days before. So we were gone for like 10 days or so with all our kids. I mean, it was, it was kind of a lot going on. We're staying in this hotel, and she had told me at some point that part of the plan of making this trip go well was that she was going to do laundry at some point so we didn't have to pack quite as much. So we're getting to the end of the week, and I had had an afternoon full of meetings, and she had had the afternoon not having to be in meetings, and so that night, as we were finally coming back together, I said, hey, did you do, did you do any laundry today? And instead of just like hearing if there was any laundry that got done that day, it turned, it, it, I heard about everything. I heard about everything that she had done that week and how she felt about all the things that had been on the calendar. I heard about everything Esme had eaten that day. Not sure what the relevance was of that, but I heard all about it. Heard all about what was coming the next few days. I heard about what floor of the hotel the laundry machines were on. And uh, it kind of turned into a little bit of a thing, you know? Like, it, it wouldn't say conflict. It wasn't conflict. It was tense. <laughs> you know how it goes. One thing turns into another, right? And uh, so we kind of had this tense conversation about it, and uh, it turned out that the next day, as part of the conference we were at, we had been able to schedule this time. The, 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 uh, the leaders who were leading the conference had brought in these, this amazing counseling couple to help be with people. And so we had just scheduled a time. It was like, hey, free time with amazing world-renowned counselors? Let's sign up for that. So we go to that the next day, and they, we just kind of sit down, and they're like, hey, so is there anything y'all want to talk about? You know, like, they're kind of looking at us like, y'all made the appointment, so what do you want to talk about? You know? and, uh, and I said, well, this is perfect timing, actually. We, I explained what had happened the night before, and just kind of, basically, I was explaining to them that 
We had had this, I, I asked about laundry, we started talking about all kinds of other things, and it turned into a deal, and I was just kind of saying, like, it seems like sort of consistently we're kind of, we're running into these situations where uh, things, things aren't what I think, or like, I don't know, it, I, the laundry wasn't a big deal, but it turned into a big deal. And so what were we missing here? You know, help us out. And so they're having good, they're asking us good questions, and eventually they, they pointed out to me what you probably already know because you're more mature and sensitive than me. Uh, they said, Andrew, the, the conversation about the laundry, it wasn't about the laundry. <laughs> and Heather's doing that face. You know, you know, guys, that face that a woman makes when like the words finally come together for what's happening in her heart, they're like, you know that nod that happens? She's doing that. Like, thank you. And so I'm, I hear what they say, and it sounds so good, and I, can, I know the face, but I'm still kind of lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, if it's, that sounds great. Heather seems to agree with you, but my question is, if it wasn't about the laundry, why were we talking about laundry? Why were we using words like Laundry if we weren't talking about laundry. I, I'm great to talk about something. Let's just talk about the thing we're talking about. It was a great conversation. I want to show you a picture on the screen, something you've probably seen before. This is an iceberg, right? Sometimes you come across something in life and you see what you see is only the tip of the iceberg, the laundry was just the tip of the iceberg, right? So men, sometimes your wife is using words about something, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg. There's something more substantial going on underneath the surface. That's really what the conversation's about. The female said, amen. <laughs> Jesus was a master of speaking in icebergs. You want to know about my kingdom? Let me talk to you about farming. You want to follow me? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Huh. You want to know what I'm up to? You see that temple right there? I'm going to tear it down in three days, rebuild it. You want to be my disciple? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If you look at a woman lustfully, you're the adulterer. Jesus was a master of icebergs. And as we dive into our text this morning, we need to remember that about six sentences ago, Jesus just told us that he didn't come to abolish the law, right? He, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Since he told us that, we, we know that Jesus then did not preach the Sermon on the Mount to abolish the old law and write a whole bunch of new ones. Jesus explicitly tells us that he came to fulfill the law and then he begins preaching to us the Sermon on the Mount where he consistently, and what we'll see, especially in this second section, is 
He, he starts preaching this sermon after telling us he came to fulfill the law. And what he does throughout this sermon is he pulls our attention to areas of life where it's really easy to point out other people's failures. And once he gets us looking at the area of life where it's really easy for us to point to other people's failures, he pushes our faces beneath the surface. And he shows us the iceberg of unrighteousness in our own hearts that the law was really getting at the whole time. You think you're great because you haven't killed anybody? I'm telling you, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you're liable to judgment. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, which they had basically mean, made to mean that only women could commit adultery, which is a whole other thing. But Jesus says, I'm telling you that you, if you have even lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart and you're actually headed for hell and you need to cut off whatever it is that's causing you to sin, even if it means cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye. He says, you've heard it said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, which again, they had made to mean that men could literally divorce their wives and send her out for burning dinner making too many noodles. And Jesus says, I'm telling you that all of you in this crowd right now who have cast a woman off like that, you're the adulterer. Sometimes we are reading the Bible and finding out that it is a little bit more intense than we thought it was. Sometimes we read things Jesus says, and uh, well, I'll say it this way. Sometimes I read what Jesus says, and it's shocking. And here I am, a pastor, supposed to know what this all means, right? But sometimes this is confusing. Sometimes Jesus says things that are really challenging. And when we read things that Jesus said that are difficult to hear, difficult to understand, when we read confusing things that Jesus says, Sometimes we get to this hard part and it creates a question in us. And the question that we ask is, did he really mean that? Because that sounds crazy. You know, like, I know we believe in God and he's alive and lives in us. That, I, I can take that crazy. But this is crazy. Does he really mean what he said there? And that creates all kinds of conflict in church, right? Did Jesus really mean what he says? I would submit to us that when things are difficult and confusing, that's the wrong question. Because the answer is yes. Jesus always meant exactly what he was saying. Jesus was not light with his words. God did not come in the flesh just to throw words around and then give us the Bible. Jesus always meant exactly what it was that he was trying to say. But when we get confused... Or so, so when we get confused, we don't need to ask the question, does Jesus mean what he said? We need to remember that Jesus often speaks in icebergs. And, when the thing we're, and, and the thing that we are confused about just might only be the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus is really saying. And so we need to remember 
that he speaks in icebergs. What's confusing us might only just be the tip of the iceberg. So instead of trying to go around it by saying he didn't mean it, let's come to Jesus and say, Jesus, take me deeper. Take me deeper and show me what it is that you're really saying. Show me what it is that you're saying. Show me the depths of all it is that you're saying. Lust, divorce, adultery. All of those things that Jesus mentions here are attacks on the lifelong covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. And God takes that lifelong covenant relationship between one man and one woman very seriously. Takes it very seriously. In Ephesians chapter five, God is speaking to us through his word and he's talking about husbands and wives and marriage and how husbands need to love their wives and how wives need to respect their husbands. And he's kind of given all these practical things for humans, human men, human women, and human marriages. And then he throws in a couple of things. And one of those things is, hey, basically, by the way, this marriage thing we're talking about it's actually just a picture of the mystery of Christ and the church. And it's kind of like, okay. I was trying to figure out, okay, love your wife. Yep, got it. Okay, but now this, this just got a whole lot bigger. So God in Ephesians 5, he's, he's not saying, no, my point isn't don't love your wife. My point is saying loving your wife is a bigger deal than you have any idea. I'm not saying don't respect your husband. I'm not saying, well, I'm telling you to respect your husband, but really it's no big deal. I'm saying, no, it's a way bigger deal than you have any idea. This thing that you're working on in your humanity, it's actually just the picture of Christ in the church. And what that doesn't mean is that God created humans, humans started getting married, and God thought, wow, that's powerful. I'm going to use that as a metaphor. What that means is that God's desire for covenant came first. God's desire for covenant came first, and then in that desire for covenant, he created humanity in such a way that the very health and existence of the race itself is oriented around this lifelong covenant relationship where one man and one woman become one flesh. And he did that so that the very continuation of humanity itself would testify to who he is and why we're all here. Jesus talking about Lust and divorce and adultery, it's just the tip of the iceberg that is, in reality, the central message of the entire Bible, which is that God wants to be in covenant relationship with all people. See, as you read the Bible, there is, it makes sense, which is crazy. When you read the Bible, we learn 
that God wants a holy covenant people. When you read the, the entirety of the Bible, what you're going to see from start to finish is that what God is after is a holy people. A, a holy people. Not, not, that doesn't mean a well-behaved people. Holy means set apart, completely separate. So what God is wanting, the reason God created humanity was to be in relationship with humanity, unadulterated, pure relationship. But then we sin and leave God. And so the rest of the Bible story is God trying to restore that relationship with humanity. It's a covenant. He wants to be in pure. So, so the holiness, is, it's, it's exclusive. He wants to be the only one humanity is in relationship with. He is raising up a holy people with whom he is in covenant. And it means that he's raising up a people. He's trying to call people out of the lusts of the flesh. He's trying to call people out from the world so that they might be his. And through the Bible, when, when God is describing what, what he wants this relationship with his people to be like, he uses marriage language. Start to finish. It's not just Ephesians 5. It's not just Matthew 5. It is start to finish. God plays on what we understand as marriage to try to just be the entry door, to just be the tip of the iceberg of him trying to reveal to us what kind of relationship he wants with us. He uses marriage language, calling out to his people who, are, who have become one with the world. And he's calling out to them, marry me, come away with me. I'm drawing you to me. I am your husband. You are my wife. Call me husband. Call me your God. Where you are unfaithful, I am faithful. Come away with me. Be united with me. This is the language God uses all through the Bible. See, marriage. Marriage isn't just important. Marriage isn't just significant. Marriage isn't just a big deal. Marriage isn't just human. Marriage is holy. Marriage is holy. This lifelong covenant relationship of one man and one woman becoming one flesh, it's not human. It's actually just the physical manifestation of a supernatural, otherworldly, heavenly reality that we don't even understand, but it is just the tip of the iceberg. See, the, the, the thrust of the Old Testament the, and, and the New Testament as well, as, as God is calling out to his people to be covenant to him, it can be summarized very simply as God calling to his people, don't go after idols. Be committed to me. Let me be your God. Don't go after idols. But the story of humanity is that we go after idols. It's like kind of what we do. And when we go after idols, and when God addresses the fact that we have, again, gone after idols, just as in his language to describe the covenant he wants with us, he used marriage language, the language that he uses to describe our spiritual rebellion against him is language of sexual immorality. He calls to his people, don't whore after other gods. You've thrown yourselves to the world like prostitutes. 
You've soiled your garments with other lovers. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Greek that it was originally written in, there's a word here that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it's there. And it's the word translated adultery. And when you look at that Greek word, if you, if you go to the Greek version of the Old Testament, so the, the Old Testament was originally in Hebrew, then a long time before Jesus came, they had translated it into Greek called the Septuagint. Long story short, it's a big deal, the Septuagint. So it's the Greek version of the Old Testament. When you take this Matthew 5 Greek word for adultery and you look for it in the Septuagint, the Old Testament, it's used eight times. Five of the eight is God talking to his people about them committing adultery against him. Two of the other three are just stating the seventh commandment. One time that God uses it in his word in actual reference to just a person against a person. The Greek word here in our text talking about sexual immorality, if you do the same thing and you look for it in the Septuagint, it's used 46 times. 46 times. 42 are God talking about his people committing sexual immorality against him because of their idolatry. Revelation uses the word seven times. All seven of them is God talking about humanity and its idolatrous heart. My dear friends, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus is not talking about all those bad people out there and their bad stuff. Jesus is talking to you about your idolatrous heart. See, our physical lusts, our first spiritual lusts, our physical lusts, our spiritual lusts that lead us to other gods. We, we don't want to be ruled by God. We don't want to be submitted to God. We don't want to be faithful to God. We don't want to be obedient to God. We don't want to be committed to God. We lust after independence. We lust after sensuality. We lust after physicality. We lust after temporality. We lust after this world. We lust after the flesh that we might serve it. Do you want to know why we don't encourage each other to cut off our hands and gouge out our eyes? Do you want to know why? Because a lot of times, you know, I've been in these conversations, the best answer we've got is, well, clearly just didn't mean it. And that's just a slippery slope. So let's just write off everything that Jesus didn't mean. Can I tell you why we don't encourage each other to cut off our hands and gouge out our eyes? It's not because Jesus doesn't mean what he said. He means exactly what he said. Jesus absolutely means what he's talking about. It's not because Jesus doesn't mean it. It's because your hand doesn't cause you to sin. The reason you don't gouge out your eye isn't because Jesus didn't mean what he said. It's because your eye doesn't cause you to sin. If it really was your eye that caused you to sin, if it really was your hand that caused you to sin, then yes, absolutely, it would be better for you to cut off your hand 
and gouge out your eye that you might have one fewer member of your body instead of your whole self be thrown into the pit of hell. That would absolutely be better for you. But it is not your hand. It is not your eye that causes you to sin. It is your heart that causes you to sin. We aren't headed for hell because of what we have done with our bodies. We are headed for hell because our hearts have chosen hell over and 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 over again, lusting after the flesh, worshiping other gods, breaking God's covenant time and time again. We don't need fewer hands and fewer eyes. We need something much more difficult. We need new hearts. We have no hope outside of cutting out our hearts. In Genesis through Deuteronomy, God outlines for us that he wants to be in covenant with his people. And he lays out what that covenant relationship with all people looks like. In Joshua and Judges, people lust after other gods. They chase after other gods. They don't obey the instruction God gives them. They don't trust that the one who brought them out of Egypt will still be faithful to, to, to lead them to the promised land and sustain them in the promised land. They lust after other gods. And then after they're done lusting after other gods and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, they lust after other kings. I don't want God to rule me and I don't want God's king to rule me. They are fueled by the lust of the flesh. And then throughout the prophets of the Old Testament, God responds by calling his adulterous people back to him. He's calling to his adulterous people who have left him and he's calling them to come back into covenant relationship with him. As you read through the prophets, every single one of them, you're going to see the same storyline. God starting by saying, I've tried to outline a covenant that I want to have with you. You have abandoned me for other lovers, but I'm calling you back. Come back. Come home. And then in Psalms, we learn how to love God rightly. In Proverbs, we learn how to honor and fear God and live inside of his boundaries. In Song of Solomon, we learn how God loves us. In Ecclesiastes, we learn how there is nothing that matters, nothing that lasts outside of this covenant relationship with God. In Ruth and, and Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, we learn that we are a people called to be set apart to carry the very name of God so that the nations might see what it looks like to be a holy people and come running back to the altar of the one who made them. In the Gospels, God takes on flesh that he might sacrifice his own blood to purchase his bride back for himself. In the Epistles, we are called and challenged and reminded and taught how to live this life as the bride of Christ. And in Revelation, Jesus himself lifts up our gaze, points us past the horizon. And he tells us that the marriage is coming. And now we partner with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, as the bride of Christ 
and we long for him, and we cry out for him, and we live in obedience to him, as our brand new hearts simply say, come, 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 come. Sexual immorality in marriage, divorce, remarriage, these are all really important things that we need to talk about. But those conversations are much better had around the dinner table than from the pulpit. And some of you who have divorce in your past, you've got specific questions that you're carrying and circumstances and all kinds of complexities. And I just want you to hear me this morning as your pastor. I really want to talk to you about that. Whatever you want to talk about, like, let's talk about it. See, there, there, there is no reason for this to be the one area of our lives where we just carry question marks forever. Don't let this be the one area of your life that you're too scared to let God talk to, too scared to let God touch, too scared to let God heal. God wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you. He wants to heal you. If you are here this morning and you've got this stuff in your past and you are carrying this question mark of, oh gosh, I sure don't want to know what God thinks about me. I don't know, I don't, I'm too scared to hear what God thinks about my divorce. I'm too scared to what God really has to say about my remarriage. Don't be too scared. Don't be too scared. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it with God. Let's do this together. Please reach out if you have question marks that you're carrying that are holding you back. Let's just talk about it. Because see, our, our world needs people who will demonstrate this great mystery of God to the world. Whether you're single, divorced, remarried, whatever, we as God's people must take covenant with him seriously. And we must take covenant with one another as seriously as he takes it. When it's hard, we've got to dig into his grace. When things get broken because of sin and weakness, we've got to turn to him for healing and redemption. We've got to be a people who do what? Grow in his grace. And we can't do any of this alone. Any of these relationships, any of this life, any of following Jesus, we cannot do this alone. Married couples, you've got to be open with one another. You've got to initiate. You've got to go find somebody to share and talk to when you've got struggles going on. Don't wait for somebody to call you. Pick up the phone. You've got to fight for this, and we've got to do it together. Men and women, we have got to call each other on our sin against God and our sin against our spouses, our sin against one another. It's just, it's not worth it to dance around it. We've got to dig into this. Single people, you have got to open up your new relationship to godly counsel, to the Holy Spirit, to the church. The people who have gone down this road before you, it is too big of a deal for you to take lightly. It's too big of a deal for you to risk compromising. There's too much at stake for you to get proud and do it alone and think that that's how everybody else does it on Instagram. Let's do it different. Let's do it different, church. Let's do it the way God has lined out for us because covenant matters to God. It matters to God. And if we will submit our lives to him, we will step into his power to live out his mystery. 
And just side note, if you're married in the room right now, we're starting our annual five-week marriage encounter class at the end of this month. And I don't know what to tell you if you don't go and don't bring every married friend you've got. But listen, whoever you are right now in this room, wherever you are in your life, lean into the grace of God. Lean into the grace of God. Grow in the grace of God. Honor him in your marriage. Honor him in your singleness. Run to him in your brokenness. And don't do any of it alone. Don't do any of it alone. Lean into this community of believers and lean in to the presence of God. And please, please reach out as you have questions and need to work through the details and complexities. Please, as your pastor, we have pastors and elders here. We want to walk with you, beside you, and all that you need to talk about. So yes, some of us have lusted, divorced, committed adultery, and all of those things are absolutely things that need to be addressed and they need to be talked about and they need to be dealt with before the Lord, but really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. What this is really about is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he ought to write every single one of us a certificate of divorce and send us away. But instead of writing us a certificate of divorce and writing us off, one of the prophets, Hosea chapter two, God speaks to us in the middle of our unfaithfulness. Hosea 2, 19 and 20, and he says to us, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Is that what you're living for? To know the Lord? To know the Lord. Is there anything you're lusting after before knowing the Lord? Is there anything you're tying yourself to in this life before knowing the Lord? Your life's gonna end really soon. It's almost over. And when it is, we will understand this great mystery as we step into it and we join Jesus at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb, washed in his pure blood, dressed in pure white garments, to be with him for all eternity as his bride. So the question this morning in response to Jesus' words maybe isn't so much, Jesus, did you really mean it? Maybe the better question is for us to ask ourselves, are we getting ready? Are we getting ready? Are you living your life getting ready? Come. Come to the altar. Come to the altar of Jesus. Come and let him make your heart new. Come and let him cut out every name from your life 
that draws you away from him. Come, let him cut away everything that you're running to. Come, come in your weakness. Come in your questions. Come in your failures. Come to the altar. Come to the altar and fall on his mercy. Come to the altar. Receive his grace. Come to the altar. And give him your life. And pledge to him, now, Lord, I covenant myself to you. And I'm going to live this life getting ready for the consummation of this great mystery. I want you to stand as I pray for you this morning. We're going to have our prayer team off to this side of the room. If there's anything you need prayer for this morning, I'm going to leave this side of the room just open if you need to come to the altar and meet with Jesus. But as we worship, the invitation is the same that the invitation has always been since the beginning of time. Come. Come and covenant yourself to the Lord. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus, we love you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit. Come and give us grace and power and strength to turn away and run into the purity that you've purchased for us. Lead us into repentance, Lord. Lord, I'm asking for every one of us in this room, be there anything that we need to repent of, God, come and push on us that we might step into this life of freedom. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, open up our eyes to see you. Join us together as your bride as we pursue living, getting ready to join with you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.